All right, I want to draw your attention to verse 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. So what I want to preach about this morning is the communion of the body of Christ. During the Sunday school hour, we observed the Lord's Supper and we talked a little bit about some of these things. But I want to go into more detail specifically on this this title or this this teaching of the communion of the body of Christ. What does that mean? What is that all about? Because this is something that is very, very important. As I mentioned in Sunday school, there are things that we all can disagree on and we can still have fellowship. We don't all have to be exactly alike in every little thing. In fact, you know, I don't even get mad at you if occasionally I say something, I preach something, and you're like, hey, I don't know if I really agree with that, or you know, I don't even care if you don't really like some of the stuff necessarily. All right, but there's some things. There are some things that we need to be united on. There are some things that we have to agree on. And one thing that we all have in common is this, we are in communion with the body of Christ. Or at least we should have that in common. If you do not have that in common, we've got a huge problem. So what does that mean exactly when we talk about the communion of the body of Christ? And so before we go into detail on this passage and exactly what it means, I want to show you some other things in the Bible about the body of Christ. These are very important things that we need to know about Him in order to kind of understand this passage. So I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 1 and verse 30. This is a popular passage that you hear a lot about in the Christmas season. Okay, We're getting ready to celebrate the birth of Christ. We are celebrating His birth. Now, why was His birth so important? Why was it so significant? Because... We do believe that Jesus Christ has always been. I do not believe that Jesus Christ started in the manger of Bethlehem, nor do I even believe that He just started in the womb of Mary. Jesus Christ has always been. I'll show you that in a little bit. But something did start in the womb of Mary. Something did start in that manger of Bethlehem that is of the of utmost importance to us, that makes all the difference in the world when it comes to our salvation. But look at what the angel said about Jesus in Luke chapter 1 and verse 30. It says, The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth the Son and shalt call His name Jesus. He shall be great, and He shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto Him the throne of His father David. And He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of His kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And we know all know that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. And that is important to understand. Jesus was born of a virgin. Therefore, He did not inherit the sin nature that you and I inherited from our fathers. Jesus Christ was the Son of God. There was no sin in the birth of Christ. There was no sin in Him at all. But I want you to notice all these great things that the angel said about Jesus. I mean, he's saying He's going to be great. He's going to be called the Son of the Highest. He's going to be given the throne of His father David. I mean, He's just giving Him all this praise for which Jesus Christ is worthy of. But then look at what He says in verse 35. And the angel said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, 
because she's wondering how she's going to have a child when she's never known a man. That has never happened before and it has never happened since that a woman has conceived while, when never having been with man. And it says, "...and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also..." Look at what He calls the Son of the Highest. Look what He calls this One who is going to take over the throne of His father David. He calls Him, He says, "...also that holy thing..." which shall be born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. Now that almost sounds partially irreverent there. That holy thing. Alright? My my wife's got a baby. You know, if I said that thing in my wife's stomach right now, you know, I'd be like, hey, it's a person, alright? You know, you don't you don't call it a thing. Alright? It, it's a person. You know, we've already picked out a name for it. And you know, you're gonna call it a thing. And notice how the angel did that with Jesus. He he says, that holy thing that should be born unto thee. Why is he calling a person a thing? Well, there's a very good reason for that that actually means a lot to us. Alright? So, because some would, there's some out there, there's a lot of false doctrines, of course, about Jesus, but some would say it said that because some believe he did not become the Son of God until he was born. Okay? There's, there's a lot of weird teaching. There's guys like Sam Gift that teaches that Jesus was up in heaven up until the birth. No, I'm sorry. He was up in heaven up until, you know, the conception. All right, Jesus Christ was in the womb of Mary. Okay, that's why John the Baptist, while in the womb of his mother, when he got near the presence of Jesus Christ, he was filled with the Holy Ghost from the mother's womb. And the Bible says he leaped in his mother with joy when he knew he knew he was in the presence of Jesus Christ because it wasn't it wasn't just a thing, although a thing was in there. All right, a body is a thing. It was a person too. Why did it call it a holy thing? There, there's a reason, you know. And so some some say he did not become God until the birth. You know, that's that's absolute garbage. That's heresy. He was God from the time of conception. But the key to the understanding of this passage and why I believe it said that, I think we can see in Hebrews chapter 10. So turn over to Hebrews chapter 10 and let's look at what the Bible says. Because I'm not going to go around, I'm not going to go calling our baby a thing. Alright? That just, you know, it, it's a person, right? But, and Jesus Christ was a person in the womb, but there is a reason the angel used that terminology there. But Hebrews 10 1, it says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance of again made of sins every year. They used to have to do daily sacrifices in the Old Testament. They had yearly sacrifices that they did. They had to do them over and over again. And the Bible's saying if those things would have made the people perfect, if it would have gotten rid of sin, then you know what? They would have only had to do it one time. But it had to keep being done over and over and over again because of the fact it didn't take away sin. Okay? Now you say, well, then why did God tell them to do it? God told them to do it. It was it was out of obedience, just like God tells us to get baptized. It's the thing of obedience. But understand what got us saved was Jesus Christ and His work on the cross. What got those people saved was Jesus Christ's work on the cross. And those sacrifices they pictured what Jesus Christ would do someday on the cross. So once Jesus did what He did on the cross, 
there was no longer any reason to sacrifice animals anymore. So it stopped. It ended. Why? Because the perfect sacrifice came. The sinless blood of Christ was shed. Now let's keep reading. It says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. And if I might get sidetracked here for just a second, how many saw what went on in Jerusalem this week? In Jerusalem, they went and they had this dedication for an altar, the, for the altar that's for the temple. It was a cheap publicity stunt, alright? It was a cheap publicity stunt. Don't get excited about it. But these guys went and they sacrificed a lamb on the altar. They didn't do it right. They didn't kill the lamb right there. They didn't want to do it in front of people. It would have looked bad. So they went to the butcher and they got a leg of lamb and they put it in a, like a green Walmart tote. I'm not lying, folks. I got it's all on video. They put it in a wall, like a like a big plastic tote. You know, the priest lugged it up there. He kind of showed it to everybody. One took it out and he threw it on a fire. That and that was it. I mean, it was a joke. It was an absolute embarrassment. And guess what? It didn't take care of anyone's sins. God was not pleased with it. God did not recognize it. Even if they would have been in the Old Testament, if they would have done a sacrifice like that in the Old Testament, God would have killed them. That is exact. God would have killed them for that poor performance that they did. Okay, that that stuff in the Old Testament was very serious. These guys didn't take it serious. They were taking selfies at the altar of incense. They're there at the altar of incense taking selfies. Do you all realize the areas where they did that stuff in the Bible is referred to as the holy place? The priests had to wash their feet and stuff before they even went in there. They'd go in there barefooted. And they did that. They washed their feet and stuff in there. But you know what? They still let a cameraman, you know, who didn't wash his feet, who wasn't in the priestly garments, who's in his street clothes, he's walking around up there stepping over everything with a video camera. And these guys went and did their cheap, pathetic substitute of a sacrifice and think... They think they're doing something. No. The blood of bulls and goats cannot cleanse sin. It cannot get rid of sin. It never could. It never will. The only one that did was Jesus Christ. They did that stuff in the Old Testament as a picture of what was to come. But guess what, folks? It came and it never needs to happen again. And so just understand that. I just felt led to throw that in there. But verse 5 says, Wherefore, when He cometh into the world, He saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not. Look at this. But a body hast thou prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, in the volume of a book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he saith, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings, and offering for sin thou wouldst not, neither hadst pleasure in them which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away of the first that he may establish the second by which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering and oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. Alright, now notice what he says, sacrifice and offerings thou wouldst not. So not only is that talking about the blood of bulls and of goats and of things like that, but you know what? We can even apply that to some sacrifice and offering that you might want to bring today. Thinking, I want to go to heaven. I'm going to write a check and put it in the offering plate. That'll help me get into heaven. No, sacrifice and offerings thou wouldst not. 
God doesn't care about that. Well, maybe I'll turn my life around. I'll start being a better person and then the Lord, He will accept me and He'll let me into heaven. No. Sacrifice and offerings, thou wouldst not. But a body thou hast prepared for me. Listen, you can come to this church. You can join this church. You can get baptized. You can give your money. You can do all the works that we ask you to do. You can change your clothing. You can change your music. You can get rid of all your bad habits. You can do all those things. You can give it all to Jesus Christ. But let me tell you something. That offering will not please Him. That offering will not buy your salvation and it will not wash away your sins. It can't do that. There's only one offering that can wash away the sins and that was something that was prepared by God. And you know what the Bible says it was? It was a body. A body thou hast prepared. So the reason that angel, it said that holy thing that was, that was in her is because of the fact that this is something new here. Okay, look, turn over to John chapter 1 and verse 1. This is very important what has taken place here. This is why it is so important that we understand that God came in the flesh. Anyone who says that Jesus Christ or God did not come in the flesh, they are not of God. These people are not saved. And it says in John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word with a capital W. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. So we see that this Word is somebody who is always with God. He was in the beginning with God. He was there in creation. I heard a preacher just the other day say that Jesus Christ was the first creation of God. That, my friends, is a teaching of the Jehovah's Witnesses. He was not a creation of God. Jesus Christ was God. He was there with God. As long as there has been a God, there has been a Jesus Christ. If God is the eternal Father, then that means there had to always be an eternal Son. And Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. He has always been the Son of God. And He has always been God. We believe in the Trinity here. We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we believe those three make up one God. These three are one. We believe that. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. You know, it does make sense. It's exactly what the Bible says. Just like the Bible says, that for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Okay? My wife and I, according to God, we are one flesh. But we're two, aren't we? But does that make me the wife too? Am I, can I be the wife and the husband? No. I am the husband. She is the wife, but we are one flesh. And when it comes to the Godhead, there is the Father, there is the Son, and there is the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. That's what the Bible teaches, and we don't have time to go into all the Scriptures on that. But I say all this to show you that the Word has always been around. Just like God has always been around. And look what it says in verse 14. Says that so because this is what happened when Mary conceived in her womb. Okay, this was the beginning of this process when the Bible says, "A body hast thou prepared." It says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is that talking about? The Word is Jesus Christ. There is no doubt about that. And the Word was made flesh. Why? Because there needs to be an offering for sin. 
Sin has got to be paid for. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. So guess what? A body has to be prepared. And just like as by one man, sin came into the world and death by sin, and that man was Adam, we see the Bible refers to Jesus Christ as the last Adam. And just like by one, death came into the world and death by sin, we see life came into the world by one, by Jesus Christ. And we see that the reason that His body, what was in Mary, is referred to as a holy thing is because He has already established the fact that what, who is in Mary, He's already established the who, that it's the Son of God. Alright? That's already been established, but He mentions that holy thing because what was inside the womb of Mary was the very thing, was the very body that was going to take away the sins of the world. What was inside the womb of Mary was going to be the offering for our sin. Mary is a, she is a Jewish woman. She comes from a people who brought offerings to God, who brought sacrifices for years in obedience to God. And she is the one, and I don't even know if she fully understood everything about it, but with, inside of her, she is carrying the very offering that God has prepared for the sins of the world. Something that God provided. Remember when God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? And Isaac is asking his father Abraham, hey, you know, we've got everything for the sacrifice, but you know, where is the lamb? And what did Abraham say? God will provide himself a lamb. Well, why would he say that? What, what does that even mean? It's very prophetic what he said there. God will provide himself a lamb. God will provide it. And you know what? God provided himself as the lamb, did he not? I mean, what an amazing thing that was showing. God always knew what He was going to do. God always knew from the very beginning that one day He was going to have to send His Son who was going to have to live the life as a normal man, who was going to have to be born as a man, who was going to have to grow up as a man, and who was going to have to eventually die a horrible death. And that is exactly what happened. And so what was in the womb of Mary, this body that was there, this body was the sacrifice for sins. And so, who it was inside Mary's body has always been, but what was inside Mary, this was a new thing that God had prepared to be the sacrifice for the sins of mankind. So, what does the communion of His body mean? Well, you know what it means? A few things very simply I want to give you. I'm going to try to be quick today. We'll see what happens. But it's our, first, our claim to righteousness is in the blood of Christ and nothing else. Y'all understand that? Now we sing a lot of songs about the blood, but a lot of times I think we take it for granted. We don't really, you know, ponder these things and take them into consideration. But we sing that song, "What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus." And let me tell you something: that blood that He shed, it wasn't something that was just symbolic. When we take the communion, when we drink the fruit of the vine, that is symbolic of the blood of Christ. But understand, His actual blood is what washes away our sins. Why? Because it was the sacrifice for our sins. That blood that was spilled at the cross that day, that blood, that actual blood was the offering for our, for our sins. That was what God wanted to be brought. That was what God required for us to have a chance of salvation. Look what it says in Romans 5.8. It says, "...but God commended His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. 
For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we should be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now received the atonement. So the blood of Christ is what did it. That is the justification. That is the proof of our salvation. And listen, I love a good conversion story. I absolutely love a good conversion story. I like hearing about you know people who at one time lived a horrible past and then God saved them and they and God changed their life. But never ever let your changed life be what you use as justification of your salvation. Well, I know I got saved because I quit my drinking. Um, I know I'm saved because of the blood of Christ. That's that's my proof, folks. That's my proof. When we want, if we, you want to know if someone's saved. You know what we don't do when we go out soul winning? We don't, if somebody tells us that they are saved, we don't go looking around in their house and saying, well, let me see what movies you've been watching. You know, let me check the history on your computer. Let me look at your refrigerator, make sure there's no beer in there. You know, we don't, we don't do that. You know what we do? We ask them, hey, what are you trusting in? What, where, what have you, what are you professing faith in? And quite often, you know what people bring up? They bring up their works. I got baptized. I go to church. I mean, we heard these yesterday. They bring these up all the time. Well, I quit doing this. I started doing that. You know, I took communion. I did all these things. And that, that's what you're going to use to prove to me you're saved? Listen, we ought to talk about the blood of Christ. When somebody asks how you know you're saved, when somebody asks how you got saved, you know what you ought to be talking about? You ought to be talking about the body of Christ. Don't talk about your body. Don't talk about what you've done with it. You talk about the body of Christ. Our claim to righteousness is in the blood of Christ. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Verse 5, it says, "...and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto Him that loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever." Amen. It's very clear right there that His blood is what washes. His blood is what cleansed us. And I'm getting tired of hearing preachers get up and talk about themselves as proof of their salvation. It, it sounds great in a camp meeting. And some of these guys are good at telling their stories. I mean, they'll have women crying and getting them all emotional just talking about all the horrible things they used to do. And then they'll tell you about how they got saved and, you know, just everything changed and now, and they know they're saved because, you know, they, they really got it. And you know what? We ought to talk about what we're professing faith in. When you give your testimony, you ought to be talking a lot more about Jesus than you are about yourself. And a lot of preachers today, I've heard preachers get up and preach whole sermons on their salvation testimony and about 55 minutes is them talking about themselves and maybe five talking about Jesus. But that's only because they had to spend some time reading Scriptures that you're just required to do when preaching. And they didn't have. If there would have been a verse in the Bible about themselves, you know that'd be required memorization in their, their churches. But they do. They talk about themselves. That's not what we do. Our claim to righteousness is in the blood of Christ. We're going to talk about His body. We're going to talk about what He did. A lot of people today, when they talk about, you know, if you ask them if they're going to heaven, they'll start talking about God. Well, great. You know, we ought to believe in God. 
But listen, it's one thing for you to believe in God. It's another thing for you to be trusting in what Jesus Christ did and accepting His payment for your sins. There's a lot of people who profess a belief in God. That does not mean they're going to heaven. There are a lot of people who profess a belief in Jesus Christ and they will even profess that they believe that He died, buried, and was rose again. But are they accepting His death, burial, and resurrection as payment for their sins or are they believing in that while trying to establish their own righteousness? If they are doing that, they are not believing in His death, burial, and resurrection. When the Bible talks about believing in Him, it's talking about putting our faith and trust in Him and what He did. And many people today, they'll talk about all those things. They'll say they believe in all those things. But if you ask them, how do you know you're saved? They'll start talking about, well, I did this. You need to do that. You can't ever do this. They'll start going into all these rules. That is not biblical. That is not right. So also, we see our obedience to the law is based on the body of Christ and not our own body. Galatians 2, verse 16 says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now, it doesn't get any clearer than that right there. You can't be justified by the works of the law. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. We're justified by the faith of Jesus Christ. Yet, what is it that you hear over and over again that even in Baptist church, if you've got the faith, you'll have the works. But wait a minute. So you're basically saying proof of my faith is in my works. Well, wouldn't that mean by the works of the law that I'd be justified? Being justified is being proven. You know, to be proved innocent. The proof of my innocence is in the blood of Christ. It is in my faith in Christ. And not the works of the law. You cannot be justified by the works of the law. Because you know why, folks? Because none of you are keeping the law. You're not doing it. You're not keeping the law. You're failing in that. You have failed. You fail every day. You might be doing a little bit better than some other people. You might be doing enough to keep me off your back and to make the people in this church think that you're good, but you're not doing it enough to make God think, boy, this, these people are good. They're keeping my law. No, you're not. You're not keeping God's law. You've never gone one full day keeping the law of God. and you're, Therefore, you're not justified by the works of the law. You're justified by the faith of Jesus Christ. Romans 5.19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. By the obedience of one. So that means, whose obedience do you think that is? Jesus' obedience. Not your obedience. Jesus' obedience. By the obedience of one shall many be made righteousness. So our obedience to the law is based on the body of Christ. He was obedient. Specifically referring to what He did in His body. What He did on this earth. Jesus Christ, when He was in the garden, He was in great anguish and sorrow. I mean, almost to the point of death at the thought of going to the cross. But you know what He did? He submitted to His Father's will and He said, not My will, but Thine be done. And Jesus Christ, He was obedient unto death even the death of the cross. 
Jesus Christ was obedient. And so you know what? Because of that, I am able to receive righteousness. But it's His righteousness. I'm going to heaven today, not because I was obedient, but because Jesus was obedient. You all get that? You all need to understand that. This is something we've got to agree on. If If you're claiming to be saved today and on your way to heaven, I hope your claim to salvation is in the fact that Jesus was obedient and not that you were obedient because you're not obedient. Okay? You are not obedient children. You are not. You are disobedient. We violate the laws of God every day. We are lawbreakers. God is still holy. He still hates sin. You say, but yeah, but the Bible talks about how you know we're children and God you know sees us as righteous. Yes, but if you study all those passages, the reason that God sees us as righteous is because He's seeing us. He's looking through Jesus Christ. He understands that we have received His righteousness. The fact that God looks at us and sees us as clean and righteous, it has nothing to do with your performance. It has everything to do with Jesus' performance. That's what it's all about. And so we, we can't get confused on this. It's about Jesus' obedience. And so our fellowship, or what we have in common, is that we all claim faith in the work of Jesus Christ. And as a congregation of believers, we have all publicly associated ourselves with Him by baptism. That's what we do as a, as a congregation of believers. You can be saved and not be baptized. Okay? But as a congregation of believers, okay, those of us who meet together, who we call ourselves Liberty Baptist Church, you know, we take the communion together. One thing that we all have in common that's separate from those outside this church who are on their way to heaven is one of the things that we have done. We have publicly identified ourselves with Christ in baptism. And so that's what we are as a church. We are people who are publicly, we have publicly identified ourselves with Christ. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul's saying right here, I didn't, get, I didn't come with fancy talk. I didn't come... And he said, I didn't even want to learn anything among you or know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Do you all have this in common with me? That's what he wanted to know. Are you all claiming Jesus Christ? Are you all claiming the work of Jesus Christ? Are you claiming His sacrifice for your sins? Because one of the things that Paul dealt with a lot... Whenever Paul would go to a new city, you know where he would go first? He would go to the synagogues first. Why? Because in the synagogues, there was a people there who had the Old Testament, who professed to believe the Word of God, who professed to believe in God. And so the apostles, they would always go there first to let them know that guess what? The Messiah has come. The Messiah came. And you know what? He made the sacrifice for sins of man and we can all be saved by His blood. We don't need to offer the sacrifices anymore. And many times, some of them would receive it and they would accept it. But other times, there were those who would say, you know what? We don't accept that. We reject Jesus Christ. 
and they still wanted to go about establishing their own righteousness. He constantly was fighting that. They didn't want to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then you had others who were trying to mix works with salvation. And this was a huge heresy that Paul had to deal with. He talks about this a lot in Galatians. There were people that came along that said, except ye be circumcised and keep the law of Moses, ye cannot be saved. And Paul said, hey, that is not true. That is a lie. Our salvation, it is by Jesus Christ and what He did. And so when he would go to these places, and whenever he's trying to find out about people, what he wanted to know is, hey, are you identifying with Jesus Christ? I've determined not to do anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You know what he's saying too? He's saying, I don't care where you came from. You know, he didn't want he didn't want a bunch of these people come in and say, Hey Paul, I'm a fellow Jew too. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Like you. You know, high five. No. He didn't care about that. He didn't care about their ancestry. That doesn't matter. You know what he cared about? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Alright? Are you claiming Jesus Christ? and His payment for sins, or are you just claiming Jesus Christ along with your works too? That's why He, that's why he threw that in there. Turn over to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared to me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the Gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. You know what he's saying right here? He's saying we've got a problem in this church. First off, there's divisions. We've got people saying, well, you know what? I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Meaning maybe I was baptized by those guys. These are the guys who I'm following after. I've joined the Paul camp. I've joined the Apollos camp. And Paul's saying, hey, that's a big problem right there. Because guess what? We're just ministers by whom you believe. We're nothing. And he's like, you know what? And he mentions how you know, there weren't even many people that he baptized and he was glad because he didn't want people associating their baptism that they had, their water baptism, with the Apostle Paul. You know what our water baptism represents? It represents Jesus Christ. It represents Jesus Christ. It represents His death, burial, and resurrection. And it's not important who baptized you. What's important is who you were baptized in the name of. And Jesus said, we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. That's what Jesus said. And so, nobody gets baptized in the name of Tommy McMurtry. Okay? We get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because if we do, if we start creating these divisions, we start even making baptism about anything. You know what? The Bible says we make the cross of Christ of none effect. How can baptism make the cross of Christ of none effect? Well, one example, we talked to a lady just yesterday 
when she's saying she's saved and everything, asking how she knows she was saved, she kept bringing up how she got baptized. And I tried. I said, well, wait, we're, so when you got baptized, you know, were you, was it, did you get baptized because you were saved or so you could get saved? And one of the things she said was she felt like it would help wash away her sins. Well, right there is what makes the cross of Christ of none effect. Because the only thing that can wash away our sins, the blood of Jesus. It's what Jesus did on the cross in His body on the cross. We have to have faith in that and nothing else. You can't have faith in Christ and other things. No, faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you do, if you profess faith in Christ, but then you come and say, I want to get baptized so it will help me go to heaven, do you realize you've made the cross of Christ of none effect? That's not going to do you any good because you're trusting in the cross and baptism. If you think that, well, I'm going to profess faith in Christ, I'm going to, I'm going to say a prayer asking Jesus to save me, and I'm going to try to start being good. Do you all realize you just made the cross of Christ of none effect? Because you're not trusting in it. You're trusting in the cross and other things. The way to salvation, you've got to trust in what Jesus Christ did in His body on the cross. And that is what we are all supposed to have in common. That is what we all have to have in common right here. This is the most important thing that we are united on is the fact that we are sinners, that there was absolutely no sacrifice that we could bring. There was no offering that we could bring that would be an acceptable offering to the Lord for our sins. There is only one sacrifice that would be acceptable and it was the sacrifice that God prepared and that was the body of Jesus Christ. And the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth, lived a life just like you and I, a physical life, and He did every bit of it without ever committing one sin. Jesus Christ was perfect in the flesh. There was no sin in Him. There was no capability of sin in the body of Jesus Christ because that body was a holy thing. It wasn't a perfect thing inhabiting a normal human body. Okay? Because once again, He was born of a virgin. He did not inherit that sin nature that you and I have. And understand, even when God created Adam, Adam was made without sin, but Adam brought sin and death into the world by sin that he had done in his own body. Jesus Christ, though, when He came into the world, He never did. He never committed one sin. Why? Because He was holy all the way through. Every bit of them. No sin in Jesus Christ. And He is what we all have fellowship in. He is why we should all be joined here together. It's okay for you all to like each other and to get along with each other and be friends. And it's okay for you all to like me as a pastor and everything. And I hope you do. But I hope ultimately why you are here is for Jesus Christ. I hope you all understand that if you're on your way to heaven, it's because of Jesus Christ. Not because of Liberty Baptist Church. Liberty Baptist Church itself has no ability to get anyone into heaven. We have, there is nothing that our church has that we can offer God. There is no ceremony that I can do. All we can do is deliver a message of the One who did come and who did make the sacrifice for sins. We can tell you about Jesus Christ. 
We can tell you about the body of Christ. And then if you receive that, if you believe that, and then you accept His payment as the sacrifice for your sins, then guess what? We now can have fellowship. We can come together. We are brothers and sisters. And we can commune with one another. And we can come together as a people. And we can look back and we can remember the death of Jesus Christ. And it's a reminder to us all the time that hey, it's all about what He did. And hopefully, if we do that, we keep on doing that, it'll be a constant reminder to us that you know, there's nothing really special about us. We won't become this elitist club that many churches have become. If we remember the body of Jesus Christ, if we keep our doctrine straight when it comes to salvation, you know what we'll keep believing? We'll keep believing that if we go tell a bunch of dirty, rotten sinners that are living, living wicked lives, that if they'll believe on Christ, that they will be saved. We'll keep on doing that. And you know what? We'll keep believing that they get saved even if they don't totally clean up their act the next day. Even if they don't come to church. We'll still believe those people are saved because we understand that it's not about your works. It's about professing faith in Jesus Christ. We'll actually stay motivated to go soul winning. I don't want to ever become one of these elitist clubs that call themselves Baptist churches that never go soul winning, that never tell other people about Jesus because they don't think it works because it doesn't make the people like them. And truth is, the Holy Spirit, He didn't say, He doesn't save people to make them like us. He saves them to ultimately make them like Christ. And you know what? None of us are there yet that's even in here. We're not going to totally be there until the rapture, but we believe it's coming, don't we? We believe one day we're going to be like Him. We are going to be like Christ. And that is what we have in common. That is the communion of the body of Christ. So I hope that was a help to you. I hope you understand that. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for providing and offering for sin for us, Lord. There, It's so clear as we study Your Word. There's absolutely nothing that we can bring. There's nothing that we can bring to the table. And then there's nothing that we can add to what You've already done. And Lord, I pray You'll help uh, all of us to always remember it was about You and what You did. If there's one here, they've been thinking that they need to bring some kind of offering themselves. Help them to understand they made the cross of Christ of none effect and that they need to get saved. They need to just trust in what You did and nothing else. And I pray help us to continue to be effective in delivering this message of uh, the work that You did on the cross to this lost and dying world. In Your name we pray. Amen.